take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon, the short book just before Hebrews in the New Testament. On my Bible, it's page number 1286. Let's see who's got a Bible just like, I think I've got a Schofield here. So we'll see if your Schofield matches my Schofield reference Bible. Philemon, 25 verses long, one of the shortest books in the Bible, but one of the most powerful truths that really impacts us in practical, everyday ways. As Paul wrote to Philemon, who was a church leader in the, in the city of Colossae and leader of a home church there. And Philemon evidently had a runaway servant, a runaway slave, who had evidently in some way wronged Philemon, hurt him deeply. And later on, Onesimus, this slave, that's the name of the slave, Onesimus comes back to Philemon with this letter that Paul had written to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus somehow ran into Paul all the way on the other side of the world in Rome, and he got saved. Onesimus, the slave, uh, the runaway slave, the fugitive, got forgiven. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at from fugitive to forgiven, and we looked at the power of the gospel. And if y'all will uh, change slides for me and go, go for that, that'll, that'll help me out. Um, so that's what we looked at last week, and I th- believe that's the next slide, from fugitive to forgiven. Is that right? Yeah. So that's what we looked at last week. We looked at all 25 verses, and we looked at the truth of what Paul was teaching there. And what was that truth? Next slide. The theme was this. If we've been truly forgiven and reconciled to God by Christ Jesus then we will seek to forgive and be reconciled to those who have sinned against us. And that's what Paul was getting at. I mean, he, he alludes to that down here in verse 19. He says, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. And so Paul was alluding to the fact that Philemon had come to know Christ through Paul's influence. Paul had led Philemon's runaway slave to Christ, and now Paul was trying to be the peacemaker and try to be the person who uh, connects these two individuals again together because now they're brothers in Christ, and he's trying to uh, see forgiveness occur and for reconciliation to be established. And so uh, go ahead to the next slide. I don't remember these first couple of slides. Yeah, and so basically the, the, the simple way to condense that statement that we just read is forgiven people forgive others. Forgiven people, if we've really been forgiven by God's grace, then we can extend forgiving grace to others. And that's the message of the book of Philemon. And that's what we're going to look into a little bit deeper today. So we really tried to introduce you to the story last week. If you've not um, ever been ever uh, read the story or heard the story, and then this week we're digging digging in more into these three words, and those are forgiveness, reconciliation, and repentance. Those three words are so important to understand and to understand the differences between forgiveness and reconciliation, and then how does repentance play in either or both of those words, forgiveness and reconciliation. And so today we're going to look at that. And what's the next? Yeah, there it is. Forgiveness, reconciliation. And then forgiven people forgive people and seek reconciliation where it's possible. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says this, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do you see what Paul's saying there in the book of Ephesians? He's saying, forgive one another on the basis of the fact that you've been forgiven by God. 
And so with that said, let's look at our introduction on the handout that you should have received this morning. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, forgive and forget? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Ever used that phrase? Yes, many times we've probably heard that in our life. This is a phrase that I've heard many times in my life around the topic of forgiving others. But is this phrase really the best to use in the discussion of how we are to forgive? Now, there are different categories of when people wrong you. For instance, I'm sure between now and 10 days from now, while I'm traveling on the road, people will wrong me in their vehicle. All right, and I'm going to probably forget most of those wrongs, okay? Uh, Mike shaking his head, no, I don't forget them. I do. I mean, that's a category. Okay, you don't know those people. They were jerks to you. They cut you off. Forgive and forget in that way. And I think a lot of times we do. We, we, we forget those kinds of wrongs, all right? But when we know somebody and there's a relational uh, investment and they hurt us in a very deep way, you can say forgive and forget, but let's all just be honest. It's impossible to forget. It's impossible, right? Um, now, it doesn't mean that God in time through his grace can't lessen that wound and, 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 and of course, heal that wound and, 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 and put his wonderful healing power there. But the reality is, it's, it sounds nice, forgive and forget, but in certain relationships, when people wrong us, it's, it's not really possible to forget. Praise God that he gives to us a forgiveness to where as far as the east is from the west, we just sang about it, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Cast into the sea of his forgetfulness, the prophet says. And so this phrase really opens up, though, I think the discussion around what forgiveness even means and how it differs from other important parts of the restoration process of a, rela of a relationship. Look at these next several questions here in the intro. How is reconciliation similar but also different than forgiveness? Also, where does repentance fit into the overall process? For example, should we forgive someone who hasn't truly repented yet? That's an important question to discuss, to try to answer. Should we withhold forgiveness until the person really proves that they are truly sorry and is going to change? Is it true that some people just abuse forgiveness and continue to wound us knowing that they can just use the, quote, Christians ought to forgive, right? How many of you have ever had that one used against you? Someone, someone wrongs you and they know you're a Christian you're, and, and they say, well, Christians are just supposed to forgive, right? So they use that as a weapon. How does the story of Philemon and Onesimus help us better understand such an important and delicate process of forgiveness and reconciliation? I hope that the message today will, will help us better understand these important questions and how they fit together in seeing human relationships restored and strengthened. God has called us as recipients of his forgiveness and reconciliation to extend this to others. And so if you'll flip over, there's a couple of blanks you can follow along with the message today and the major points. And we'll look at this together. Let's ask the Lord's help and blessing as we look at these truths together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to better understand these three words that we're about to discuss. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and repentance. And how they fit together. And how each one is necessary in seeing relationships fully restored. Father, we understand that in some cases today, reconciliation might not be possible. But forgiveness certainly is. And you tell us to. And so, Father, speak to our hearts today. May we all have the heart to hear you speak. And may you work in and through this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the first question we're going to look at is this. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Some would argue that as you read the book of Philemon, and we're not going to read all 25 verses here today. I'm going to reference several on the screen here in a moment. Um, But some would argue that Paul really wasn't addressing forgiveness because the word specifically forgive is never mentioned in this passage. And so some would argue that Paul is not making a case for Philemon to forgive Onesimus because the word forgive is never used in the letter. But clearly, Paul is making a case for reconciliation. And I would argue that reconciliation is not possible without forgiveness. They go hand in hand. Look at several verses that I think basically prove that point. Verse 12, Paul says, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. Receive him. And that word receive, as we talked about last week, has this idea of a restoration of a relationship. And he's going to talk about that. He says, that is mine own heart. Paul's making the case. Philemon, we now have a brother in Christ here who has come to know Christ. And clearly, I believe, evidence is, 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 is in here that Onesimus who had ran away from Philemon, who had hurt him in a, in a, in a deep way, evidently. Uh, most scholars believe that Onesimus had robbed Philemon and had ran away because he was going to be caught. But clearly, Paul's making a case here for Philemon to receive Onesimus, no longer as a servant, but as a brother, uh, as, a, as, a, as a brother in Christ. Look down at verse 16. Now, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, Especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he says, receive in verse 12. He says, receive in verse 17. He says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And then verses 18 and 19. If he's wronged thee or oweth thee anything, put that on my account. Basically, Paul's saying, Philemon, whatever he's done to hurt you, put that on my account and I'll pay it. And so, again, that's why we think uh, somehow Onesimus must have robbed uh, Philemon. And so, uh, verse 19, I, Paul, have written this with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is simply us saying this. And this is a quote that's not original with me. Uh, I'll mention the uh, writer here in a second. But they say this, I am surrendering. What's forgiveness? I'm surrendering my right. To settle the score with you, I'm leaving that to somebody else. That's what forgiveness... Forgiveness is the the releasing of a debt that's owed to you. Now, wouldn't it be great news if you got a call tomorrow from your mortgage lender saying your debts are forgiven? That's very clear what that means. That doesn't mean you're going to have a nice, huggy-feely relationship with your mortgage, although you might want to, right? I mean, if your mortgage... Uh, uh, lender called you tomorrow and said, mortgage is paid, you might want to send them a box of cookies, right? You might want to even have them over for dinner if they're local. You might want to start to have, because why? Because forgiveness has been now entered into the situation and now there's the possibility for future relationships. So that could apply. But forgiveness in its most basic sense means simply, you owe me a debt, I'm releasing that from you. I'm leaving that to someone else. Or to put it another way, forgiveness means that we are unwilling to demand compensation for sins done against us. Forgiveness comes from the Greek word aphiemi, which means simply to release. And that's what forgiveness means. So we forgive somebody. What we're doing is, is we are giving up our right to hurt that person for hurting us. 
<laughs> How many of us have seen this with our kids before? Uh, so-and-so hurts, hurt, hurts their sibling, and what do they do? They hurt them back. You know, they punched me, I'm going to punch them back. They kicked me, I'm going to kick them back. What forgiveness is, is when someone kicks you, when someone hurts you, you don't hurt them back. We're saying, God, you or somebody else take care of this, but I'm going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get a, a vengeance. I'm going to get on with my life. If you look there at verse 18 again, Paul, there is a cost in forgiveness. Paul said, put that sin on my account. And we talked last week how Christ has done that for all of us. He put all of our sins on his record, on his ledger. He took care of every single sin through his once for all shed blood, through the finished work of Jesus. And so we have been released of payment of our sin. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good news? It's been put on Christ's account. And we said, of course, the gospel is so great because it's not only all of our sins were placed on Christ, but all of his righteousness was placed on our account, just as if we had not sinned. That's what the word justified means in the Bible. And so we see these truths that forgiveness simply means an unwillingness to demand compensation for sins done against us. Christ forgave our debts. He paid our wages for sin, which was death. And so we were redeemed. We were bought back with the precious blood of Christ. And so because of that, we are not to seek revenge. There's too much revenge today in our society, specifically in the realm of gotcha politics. There's no forgiveness in politics today. I mean, if you misspell a word today in politics, you get lambasted for a month, right? And so we're, we're just, we live in a society that is quid pro quo. If you do that to me, I'm going to make sure that's done to you, or I'm going to work somehow to get somebody else to do it to you, Ugh, you know? So there's just no forgiveness. There's no, there's this constant seeking of punitive vengeance punitive vengeance. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be justice for wrongs done. And I'm not saying that just because someone gets forgiven, there's not consequences of their sin still lingering. I think sometimes this thing, well, Christians ought just to forgive, right? That gets thrown up as a way to try to erase all consequences as well. Listen, Jesus Christ can become your savior today and forgive you of all of your sins, but you might still have earthly consequences for your sin choices. That's the reality. Just because we're forgiven doesn't mean all the consequences go away. Listen, if you've done something very hurtful to someone else, and it's even of a legal nature where you've broken the law, Hey, that person might forgive you, but that person might still seek justice in the court and in the land in which we live. And there's a difference. And actually, your willingness to have justice met on the wrong that you've done is proof of your repentance. But we'll get there. All right. And so what is forgiveness? It's releasing the person from what they owe you. Forgiveness does not seek to harm the victimizer. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter asked a question. It says here, then, then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I, should I forgive a brother that sins against me? Seven times? You know, that was the number of completion. Jesus, of course, always catching people off guard, says, no, 70 times seven. What he was basically saying, I believe, by evidence of the scripture is continual forgiveness. Really? But if someone hurts me 489 times, you're telling me I need to keep on forgiving? Well, it's because there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. That sounds odd to us. You mean we should just keep on forgiving? Well, we're gonna, 
as we look at this, all forgiveness means is simply releasing someone from what they owe you. So Jesus confronted the question of how often we should forgive the one who has sinned against us. And he responds by saying that we should forgive 70 times 7, meaning we should never stop forgiving. If we've truly been forgiven by God, there should continually be a heart of forgiveness for others. Of course, the New Testament goes further into this. It talks about in Hebrews 12 about how if we do have an unforgiving heart, the danger is, is a root of bitterness springs up. And a root of bitterness, I found, only chokes the person carrying the bitterness. I've seen so many. And, and, and how many of you have a relationship in your life where every time you get around that person, they go back to what happened to them five, eight, ten years ago? And it's like every time they're rehearsing the same story, reliving the same hurt with you. And, 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 and have you ever had in the back of your mind the thought, when are you ever going to get past this? The, the sign is, 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 is they haven't forgiven. It's because they keep going back to it. And what they're doing is, is they're allowing this root of bitterness to spring up, a, a root of an unforgiving heart to grow within them. And so what forgiveness means is we are forbidden from nurturing an inner attitude of resentment and hatred toward those who have wronged us. Jesus even went further. And of course, here in Matthew, of course, Jesus is primarily addressing the Jews, but these verses still apply in several ways to us as we rightly divide the word. It says in Matthew 5.44, he says we should even forgive our enemies, those who aren't even a part of the family of God. He says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What? When we realize all that we've been forgiven of, we live free. We live free. Oh, I'm not saying that we ignore the wrongs that have been committed to us and, and how we've been deeply hurt and wounded in many times life-altering ways. I'm not saying we brush over the sin. I'm not saying, and boy, this is one, I'm not saying sin's not a big deal. Sometimes we get the idea, well, when we forgive, we're saying the sin wasn't a big deal. No, Paul says a sin, the, sin of, the sin of Onesimus was a big deal. He said, put it on my account. He said, forgiveness demands a payment, and I'm willing to make that payment. So forgiveness isn't just brushing it under the rug. No, it's facing full head on what the wrong is, and then realizing that Christ alone can place that sin on his account. And because of that, and because of all the sins you've been forgiven of. And of course, Matthew 18 goes into this parable of the unjust servant who owed a lot, and he was forgiven of a lot by his master, and then he had somebody that owed him money, and he didn't forgive him of $10. It was like the uh, guy owed $10 million, he was forgiven of $10 million, and this other guy owed that guy $10, and he wouldn't forgive the guy of $10. And the illustration, and the point of the illustration is, look at how much we've been forgiven of. In light of that, God calls us to forgive others. And so forgiveness refuses to seek vengeance. It fosters an inner attitude of grace and necessitates that we pray for the evil doer. Hmm, is that the kind of heart we have towards people who have wronged us? I would point out, I believe that forgiveness is an issue of obedience. Paul references that several times here in Philemon, verse 8, verse 12, and verse 17. The words receive in those verses are in the imperative voice, in the imperative mood, which that gives the idea of a command. But look at verse 21. It's very clear in verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, Philemon. 
So Paul was saying, Philemon, this issue of forgiveness is an issue of obedience. It's a reflection of our understanding of the gospel and the forgiveness that we have received from God. And so whoever we're unwilling to forgive, that tells us our extent of our understanding of what the grace of God really is. So are we forgiving? Now, I know there's a lot of questions. And so with that, let's look at this. Go ahead and put up the next slide because I have something there. Yeah, when we forgive others, here's what we do. When we forgive others, we open ourselves up to the possibility of reconciliation if the offender is truly repentant. And that's where I think the confusion a lot of times comes in our relationships. Okay, so God tells us we are to forgive, to release people from the payment. But does that mean they just get to come right back into our life and hurt us again? I think the reason sometimes we have to forgive 490 plus times is because we've misunderstood the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And so we forgive thinking that forgive and reconciliation are the same thing. And so we let this person right back into our life in a position where they can hurt us again and they hurt us again because we've not really sought out the relationship and seen if there was true repentance involved. And that's the key. So next, here's the next question then, what is reconciliation? What is reconciliation? What does that mean? Paul here, I believe, is referencing both forgiveness and reconciliation. And I believe you can make the case for that as you study this epistle out. While forgiveness and reconciliation are connected, they are separate. Forgiveness doesn't equal reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things. We can and should forgive those who sin against us. It's, we're told to forgive. Forgive for God's sake as Christ hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. So we are to forgive. But the issue of reconciliation is only possible when there is repentance from the person who has offended and hurt you. So forgiveness is something that takes place between the one who has been hurt and God, ultimately. When someone hurts me, I go to God and I work out the forgiveness part, not the other person, ultimately. I, I forgive not to set the other person free. Ultimately, I forgive understanding that I need to be set free because I don't want a root of bitterness to spring up in my heart and continue to poison me for the next 10, 20 years. And for some in this room... What we need to do today is we just need to forgive, understanding that forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things, although they are connected. So we forgive because God wants us set free. That's the point. We forgive because God wants us set free. Again, bitterness is a poison that, ruins, that only ruins the container that conceals it. Dr. Robert Jeffrey said it like this. He's a pastor there in Dallas, well-known for many other reasons. But here's what he said about forgiveness and reconciliation. He said, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive somebody without ever hearing the words, I'm sorry. We're going to look at that here in a second. But you can never be reconciled with somebody until you hear the words, I'm sorry. Notice the distinction there. It's so important. Um... So what is reconciliation? Reconciliation is the process of restoring a relationship based on the restoration of trust. So we're called to forgive, but when we reconcile, it's a process. There's time involved. Because like it or not, you've spent maybe years building a relationship with someone. When you break that trust, 
it takes a long time to restore that trust. Married couples in here, have you ever violated your spouse's trust? You better not expect that trust to be given back to you immediately overnight. It won't happen. Well, they should just forgive me. Oh, they, they probably have forgiven you, but there's a process called reconciliation that's involved. Especially if it's an ongoing habitual hurt that you have committed against the one that you say you love. And so reconciliation, the process of restoring a relationship based on the restoration of trust. Reconciliation is focused on restoring broken relationships. And where trust is deeply broken, a restoration process is sometimes and many times a lengthy one. Reconciliation is only possible if there is genuine repentance on the part of the offender. Onesimus, I don't believe, as we studied this story last week and as we remind ourselves of it this week, I don't believe Onesimus would have ever gone back to Philemon unless he was genuinely repentant. Of course, Onesimus had gotten saved, so we would assume that because he had now a new heart and the Spirit was living inside of him, he probably started to think about the past that he had ran away from. It's like, oh yeah, I hurt that person deeply. I need to make that right with him. And so there was genuine repentance that made possible the potential for reconciliation. I believe Philemon was called by God in the gospel to forgive Onesimus. But Onesimus would only find reconciliation with Philemon if he was genuinely repentant. And so Onesimus would not have returned to Philemon unless he was genuinely seeking not only to be forgiven by Philemon, but also to be reconciled. Think about it. If you're a runaway servant and you've robbed from your master, you've robbed from the one that you're employed to, um, you're not going to go back unless you're ready and willing to make things right and there's a repentant attitude. Reconciliation. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is always demanded of any believer, but reconciliation is only possible if the person who has hurt the other is truly repentant. Biblical reconciliation, I believe, also always implies repentance and a turning away from the wrong that's been done. It mandates that the victimizer do what Zacchaeus told the Lord. Do you remember when Zacchaeus had his dinner with Jesus and evidently Zacchaeus came to know Christ in that, in that dinner. He, he placed his faith in Christ and then there was this genuine repentance. And how was the genuine repentance evidenced? It was evidenced by Zacchaeus' willingness to repay fourfold the people that he had robbed and cheated. And so that brings us to this issue of repentance. How does repentance play then in the process? Forgiveness starts the potential for a reconciliation process. And by the way, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. I think that's later on in the slides, but I'll just go ahead and say it now. Jesus forgave people who didn't even know that they needed to be forgiven. His heart was, they're doing me wrong. They're crucifying the Lord, who could, who, the, the Lord of glory. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A heart of compassion. And that's the heart we're to have. But how does repentance work into that process? Well, what does the word repentance mean? At its core, it means a change of mind. 
So Zacchaeus had a change of mind about all those people that he had wronged. I believe there was also human sorrow. He felt remorse over the fact that he had hurt all these people. I think Onesimus, before he went back to Philemon, obviously began to realize how he had hurt Philemon. And so there was this change of mind, which led to a genuine godly sorrow. Second Corinthians talks about a godly sorrow that works towards repentance. So as I mentioned, I don't believe that Onesimus would have ever returned to Philemon unless he desired reconciliation and was truly repentant. John Stott says it like this. I think this is such a powerful quote. He says, if we can restore to full and intimate fellowship with ourselves a sinning and unrepentant brother, we reveal not the depth of our love, but its shallowness, for we are doing what is not for his highest good. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, do not conflate and put together forgiveness and reconciliation into one package. They're connected, but they're separate. And in the middle of them is genuine repentance. We are to forgive. Let go of the wrongs that people have done to us. Oh, life is so short carrying around our ledger of people who owe us. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. And let it go, right? Free those people. They don't owe you. Forgive. Be set free. Skip some rope. It's, it's, it's amazing when we forgive like that. And you know what? That's awesome. But there are some people that we might not ever be reconciled to. You know why? Because they're never going to be repentant. There will never be a full restoration of the relationship, sadly, because they're not truly repentant. So forgive, but be careful reconciling. So this is what Stott's addressing here in this quote. He's addressing the fact that we, oh, come right back on in. Forgiveness means that you just come right back in. There's no restoration of trust. And then they hurt you again and again. And you're like, well, I'm supposed to forgive. Yeah, you're supposed to forgive, but you've conflated forgiveness. We all do this. We've conflated forgiveness and reconciliation. And so he says that actually we think that letting them come right back on in and hurt us again is, is love. It's actually not. It's actually just convenience. It's actually just um, something we do to avoid the long process of what it means to restore trust and restore the relationship. So repentance. As I was studying for this message and, and actually the series, I came across an article which had seven great signs of what true repentance looks like. So let's just paint the picture for a moment. Someone in your life has hurt you deeply, whether that's a parent, a spouse, uh, a good friend at work, something you've been wronged in some way. I challenge you today before the end of this service, release them from that payment. Forgive them. But if they're not repentant, there's no possibility for reconciliation until they show signs of genuine repentance. And so here's seven signs that you can tell someone is truly, genuinely repentant. First of all, and these aren't original with me, they come from an article on this topic, which I thought was just great. Number one, a person who's genuinely repentant accepts full responsibility for his or her actions. They don't try to blame. They don't try to say, well, it was just, uh, it's just my nationality, you know, uh, or it's, I'm, um, I'm Irish, that's why I have a bad temper, you know. They don't excuse it away. They take full responsibility for their actions. They say, I am wrong, period. They don't say things like, since you think I've done something wrong. 
How many of us have ever had a spouse start their apology that way? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work, does it? It doesn't go far. Or if I've done anything to offend you. That's not accepting responsibility for your actions. So if someone's truly repentant, they accept full responsibility. I think Onesimus did. Onesimus was going back to Philemon saying, guilty. I accept full responsibility for what I did. Number two, the, the, the second sign for genuine repentance, they welcome accountability from others. You see that here in this relationship. Onesimus clearly was under accountability of Paul. Paul had, Paul had led him to Christ. Paul had discipled him for, for, for an undisclosed amount of time. And now Paul was sending Philemon back with a letter of accountability stating how this relationship was to be reconciled. And so do we welcome accountability from others? That's a big one. Are you saying you don't trust me? You know what? You shouldn't trust your flesh. None of us have a flesh that's worth putting our trust in. The flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So what a great opportunity we have in a local church, in the body of Christ, in our families, to welcome accountability from others when we've hurt those that we love. That's a sign of genuine repentance. They accept full responsibility. They welcome accountability from others. Number three, they do not continue in the hurtful behavior or anything associated with it. And you might say, well, what if they've hurt me over and over in a certain area? Well, then we need to inject accountability and help them find freedom from whatever it is that they are hurting you in. Maybe they have a bad temper and they keep saying hurtful things to you. They need to go to counseling for their anger. If they keep violating trust with some uh, sexual addiction or chemical addiction, um, they need to go to counseling. They need to start building, see, receive accountability from others. They're not going to say, oh, well, just everybody has this problem. It's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal because it's ruining your relationships. So genuine repentance says, I'm not going to continue this. Number three, does not have a defensive attitude about being in the wrong. Uh-oh. But, 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 no, no. You don't have a defensive attitude. But they had a bad attitude in how they came to me about it. Was it true? I'm not agreeing with the fact that they had the right tone or they came in the right way, but, but was it true? A defensive attitude about being in the wrong. These are signs that, that someone's genuinely repentant when they accept full responsibility, they welcome accountability, they don't continue the hurtful behavior, they don't have a defensive attitude. Number five, they do not dismiss or downplay the hurtful, the hurtful behavior. Kind of goes back to number one. They don't dismiss or excuse it away. They don't downplay the hurtful behavior. Number six, they do not resent doubts about their sincerity or their need to demonstrate sincerity. Sometimes with what we do to people and how we hurt them or, or how they've offended us, it's going to take time and there's a difference between, I'm sorry I got caught, and I'm sorry because this hurt you deeply, and it ultimately hurt God's heart. Do you see the difference? Yeah, worldly sorrow. Yeah, I'm sorry I got caught. Oh, I don't want all the consequences. And then, I broke this person's heart. Whatever I have to do to show you that I'm sincere. They don't resent doubts. They don't present doubts about the other person wondering, okay, are they really sincere this time? And then finally, a sign of someone truly repentant is they make restitution where necessary. They make restitution where necessary. 
They are willing to do whatever it takes to reconcile the relationship. Again, Zacchaeus, I'm going to pay him back four times what I owed, which is so amazing. Zacchaeus was willing to make restitution for the wrongs that he had done. Those are signs of genuine repentance. And so the message today can simply be boiled down to this, forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance. Or should we say forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation in that order, please. Don't get them out of order. Because, listen, the person who's wronged you might not ever think they've done anything wrong. And you know what? If you don't forgive, you will become bitter. And you will go back to that hurt over and over and over So God commands us, and he knows this, because some people are stubborn and they'll never repent. He says, you forgive them. Let it go. Break the ledger of all the people that owe you and trust that to God. But then you pray for that person that they'll see the error of their ways and be truly repentant so there can be the possibility of reconciliation. Now, can I just tell you this? There are relationships in my life to this day. I've forgiven the wrong. But reconciliation will not be possible until there's repentance. A restoring of a relationship cannot happen until there's genuine repentance in that relationship. And so forgive, repent, reconcile. This is how God calls us to live out the gospel in our lives. I want to leave you with one final truth here from Philemon. It's, it's been one of those verses that just keeps coming back to my mind as I think about this story. How many of you just have verses just kind of, you know, just get in your head? This one is. Look at verse 15 of Philemon. Paul, in his plea for Philemon to forgive Onesimus, the runaway slave, and to see forgiveness and reconciliation be possible now between two brothers in Christ, he throws this out there, and I It's one of those things I can't get off my mind this week. For perhaps Onesimus departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. What's God saying in that verse? I think a couple of things. Number one, I think Paul's pointing out the reality that the wrongs that people do against us are for a season. They're temporary. Even if someone has taken the life of one of your family members, that, I know it seems a lot more permanent, and for us it feels that way, but even momentary death is a season. But there's a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory to come. And again, I'm not saying that that takes away all the pain. I'm not saying that justice shouldn't be served. But we have to come to a point where we forgive. And again, the story I told you last week about that young man, um, Botham, or Brant, Brant, his brother, how he forgave that police officer for mistakenly killing his brother. Again, it blows my mind. But to see that kind of compassion, that kind of love is incredible. So I think Paul's saying here that the things that people do wrong against us are for a season. But if we withhold forgiveness, perhaps that's the one thing. And we don't know ultimately people's spiritual condition. We don't know anybody's heart ultimately. And and perhaps if we do not extend that forgiveness, we are missing an opportunity to put the gospel on display to see them be made a brother forever. How bad do you have to hate somebody not to want to see them get to go to heaven 
like you're going. That tells me if you have that kind of thought in your heart, we probably don't understand the grace of God. We need to go back to grace 101. Because, folks, Paul's making the point here that one thing is seasonal and one thing is forever. Philemon, keep your perspective right. I think the second thing Paul's saying, I think the second thing that he's saying is, is yes, I don't believe God made Onesimus rob Philemon. I don't believe that, you know, all of our decisions are pre-fated and predetermined by God. I do believe there's genuine freedom of choice in all the things that we do. And I believe ultimately Philemon had a freedom to choose whether he was going to forgive and be reconciled or not. And that's why Paul wrote the letter and made the plea. But you do see here the working of God even in the midst of this relationship. You can't deny it. Somehow Onesimus ran into Paul in Rome. And he heard the gospel. He got saved. And he started to think in his head, oh, that's somebody in my past I've wronged. I need to go back. And so only God could orchestrate the, the tragedy of broken human relationships in such a way that they can be restored. It takes a miracle. And you have the part, you have the opportunity to be a part of that miracle. To see forgiveness, hopefully repentance, and reconciliation be made possible only through the gospel. Let's pray.